Hello, I'm Jacqueline Delaurier and welcome to our discussion with IMF experts on how the global economic crisis has affected the Canadian economy. A former Canadian Prime Minister once said that living next to the United States is like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how friendly and even tempered the beast, one is affected by every twitch and grunt. So when that elephant has the economic equivalent of a heart attack and banks stop lending, investment dries up, trade flows slow to a trickle and unemployment rises, you're bound to lose some sleep. Joining me today with the latest news gathered from a recent trip to Canada, where they met with a variety of union leaders, academics, bankers, financial regulators, and government officials, are Charles Kramer, the head of the North America Division at the IMF, and Marcelo Esteval, the deputy in the North America Division. During our discussion, we'll also be hearing from the team of economists working with Charlie and Marcelo. So Charlie, I'd like to start with you. In April 2009, the dollar was at a four-year low. Commodity prices were tumbling. A lot has changed since then. Why? Okay, let me tell you what the big, the big changes are. First of all, the international environment looks a lot better for a country like Canada. Uh, the outlook in the U.S. is a lot better. Uh, we've upgraded our forecasts, so have most of, uh, most of the other forecasters. Um, we've also graded our forecasts for uh, the emerging markets countries. And along with that, along with the rebound in the emerging markets countries, we've seen a big rebound in commodity prices from the lows that we saw earlier this year. And that's had important implications for Canada for two reasons. One is Canada's commodity exporter. But the other is that the Canadian dollar tends to move with commodity prices. So we've seen a big appreciation of the Canadian dollar along with commodity prices, and that's taking some of the edge off of the expansion for Canada. Charlie mentions the growth question, so Marcelo, I'd like to follow up with you. So what is the IMF's growth outlook for Canada? The IMF growth outlook for Canada has improved um, since the beginning of 2009. The latest information have been um, positive in the sense that they show an improvement in consumption first, Canada has had um, a remarkable strength in domestic demand, and that's a good thing. One aspect of the outlook uh, as well is the strong recovery in the housing market, and we are looking carefully at signs for overheating maybe. Marcelo, I'm glad you raised the issue of the Canadian housing market. It's obviously an issue that your team has been tracking closely. Earlier, I spoke to your colleague, Evridi Kitsunda, and here's how she described how the market is performing. The housing market uh, has been rebounding strongly in Canada. It has been a very uh, positive development uh, in our uh, monitoring of, econo of recent economic developments. For example, uh, residential investment between March and June has increased by over 6%. If we, if we assume that that trend will continue throughout the year. Uh, at the same time, sales, housing sales for existing uh, houses uh, have been up uh, about 40% between uh, October 2009 and October 2008. And this is over 70% up from the very low levels in this January. So there has been a very a large boost in housing sales. Housing prices for existing homes are very close to their peak levels. Marcel, of course, what most Canadians are worrying about is for those who are employed, keeping their jobs, and for those who are unemployed, how long are they going to be unemployed for? Canada's unemployment rate isn't as high as in the United States, but it is rising. How does this factor into your outlook for Canada's recovery? The labor market performance hasn't been as bad as in the U.S. Unemployment rates increased from about, let's say, 6% to about 8.5%. The increase in elsewhere has been 
significantly higher, not just in the U.S., but in some other G7 economies. So that's not an area that we're particularly worried in Canada. We are worried because unemployment increased, but we don't expect the unemployment rate to go beyond the 10.5. So that's the first message I want to give you. The second one, what's interesting about the Canadian case is why employment hasn't declined more. Uh, what you saw in this recession and in the recovery is that for a unit of output that was not produced, employment decreased much less in Canada than in the U.S. And that's because of the way, I think, because of the way the Canadian labor market and institutions work. Part of the way the unemployment insurance in Canada works is by basically giving a subsidy for people to stay at work. A subsidy in the very good sense of the word because you also get some unemployment insurance if you work fewer hours in Canada, which you don't, let's say, in the U.S. So firms in the U.S. have a tendency to fire more people, where in Canada, firms have an incentive to keep workers working. And they work fewer hours, but the workers themselves don't have such a big loss in terms of total wages because they get some unemployment insurance from the government. That seems to be a nice adjustment mechanism. So keep people working, they don't lose the skills. And going forward, there'll be an increase in employment soon, I think in 2010, probably the beginning, first two quarters, um, within the first two quarters, we are going to see some increase in employment. And then slowly, unemployment rates are going to come down. Marcelo, the other important component of Canada's economy recovering has been this boost in government spending, what's known around the world as uh, a fiscal stimulus. And the Canadian government implemented such a package. And I spoke with your colleague Nicoletta Battini a little earlier about how uh, Canada's economy has fared since. On fiscal, uh, they launched a well-targeted and we think very well-sized uh, package to help the economy recover. Uh, the stimulus focused on infrastructure spending, but it has also a boost to social safety nets and also support for the housing sector. What we can say is that there are signs that is being contributing positively to growth. And we have a lot of evidence of that in the housing sector, where it seems like Canadians have made uh, good use of the home renovation tax credit. And we also see very good signs in the labor markets, where Unemployment has been capped relative to many other countries, although it's gone up, but uh, not as badly as in other countries. Unemployment has been boosted. We've seen some pickup in, uh, in employment numbers uh, recently. And uh, when we look at this crisis with the eyes of history, um, the stimulus package and the deficit that came with it will look just like a blip. So, Marcelo, do you think Canada will need another spending boost? Given the stage of the recovery of the Canadian economy, which we think it's, it's good. I mean, it's not strong, but it's, the economy is recovering. And the size of the stimulus that the Canadian government has already given to the economy, we think, no, that there's no need for a new package. The focus should be on the implementation of the existing stimulus package. About 90% of uh, the items to be spent have been identified and uh, resources have been directed to those items. We don't have detailed information of how much disbursement has actually happened. But this is good. This is a, a good speed of implementation so far, it seems to us. I'd like to turn now to the banking system. Compared to the United States, which suffered uh, tremendous losses, in fact, all of this started in the subprime 
lending market and then spread to the financial system and to economies around the world. Uh, and Canada's banking system has been held up as sort of a model of a conservative, well-regulated system in the current crisis. Your colleague uh, Lev Ratnowski described Canada's banking system this way. Canadian banks had a stable base of retail deposits. In fact, they had more retail deposits than banks in almost any other advanced economy. And retail deposits pr proved to be the most resilient source of funding for banks during this turmoil. The Canadian banks entered the crisis with already adequate capital ratios and have further increased their capital in the course of the crisis. And here it is worth noting that Canadian authorities lead the way globally in terms of their approach to capital regulation, with domestic capital targets in Canada being higher than international benchmarks. So overall, the crisis has been a testing times for banks globally, including Canadian banks. However, unlike in many other countries, public bank organizations were not needed in Canada. The government facilities for government guarantees on bank funding, which were put in place for precautionary reasons, were never tapped. Canadian banks maintained their access to funding and to capital markets and have performed relatively well during the recent crisis. So Charlie, while traditional banks have fared relatively well, your concern in April was that non-bank financial institutions such as pension funds, life insurance, mutual funds were being hit hard. These institutions probably took some risks and of course were not regulated as banks. So how are they faring now? Actually, they're, uh, they're faring better now, I'd say. The markets have come back, uh, spreads have come in, the equity markets have come back. So that's, uh, that's helped some in sort of healing the balance sheet problems that these institutions have had. And also the authorities have uh, taken some steps to take some pressure off of the, uh, the sector by letting them make up losses over longer periods of time. So um, I, think, I think one thing sort of more broadly that I point out about the sector is that we haven't seen the kind of systemic concerns emerge that we had, for example, with AIG in the United States. And so even though the, the, uh, the crisis and the decline in the stock market and so forth uh, hit the balance sheets of some of those uh, non-bank institutions pretty hard, um, we haven't seen them wobble the way some of the U.S. institutions have. Equity markets have come back, but some days they're up, some days they're down uh, pretty consistently across the board. So are those gains being realized in the long term, or are those just one day you're up and the next day you're down? Well, where the equity market is going to go is anybody's, uh, anybody's guess, but the, the overall financial sector seems pretty stable for now. The IMF for some time has been uh, telling the Canadians that they should have a single securities regulator, and the current government is working on proposals to move in that direction. At the moment, there are as many securities regulators as there are provinces. So why is this an IMF recommendation? The idea is a simple one. Uh, the idea is just that uh, securities markets are national in Canada. Um, so there should be uniform and strong national regulation across all those markets. And uh, naturally, this is a somewhat controversial issue in some of the uh, some of the provinces that have uh, different points of view on this question. But, but our view is, you know, look at how well uh, national regulation has worked to keep the banking sector and the, the large insurance companies strong. And uh, we think some something similar could be helpful for the securities markets too. And a single regulator hasn't saved a country like the UK from financial meltdown. So why would it help Canada? Well, it's not enough just to have a single regulator. I mean, you have to have single, a single regulator or uniform regulation and uniformly strong regulation, too. I mean, it's true that there's been no silver bullet in terms of how you arrange uh, the, uh, the structure of financial supervision and regulation. We've seen a lot of models tried, a lot of models fail. You know, the one advantage that the Canadian models had is not only that it's, uh, that it's consolidated compared to a lot of other systems, but it's strong across the board. For example, you have a very high leverage ratio, you have very high standards for capital, for liquidity, and so forth. And in fact, a lot of what you see happening on the international scene are, uh, are regulators in other countries trying to catch up to where the Canadians have set standards. 
Charlie, I'm glad you raised the international issue. Canada, of course, a member of the group of eight advanced economies and will be hosting the next leaders meeting in June 2010 and a member of the group of 20 advanced and emerging economies. The leaders recently decided to conduct a mutual assessment about rebalancing global growth. Can you explain to us what exactly that will mean for a country like Canada? Well, I think Canada's got a, a strong interest in this kind of exercise because it's a, a country that's very much linked into the global trading system, the global financial system. So I think countries like Canada have a very strong interest in a path for global growth that's uh, that strong and sustained and balanced. Um, what it'll mean for Canada in particular is something I think that we'll, uh, we'll see in terms of the policies that it and the other countries will propose to support this objective. But um, for all the countries, we could see these across a range of issues, uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy, uh, financial sector policy. So we, we look forward to uh, working with Canada and the other G20 countries in, uh, in helping uh, play a role in that assessment. Charlie, Canada's economy recovered more quickly than the United States did after the Great Depression in the 1930s. Will it recover more quickly from this recession? I think it's got a good chance of recovering relatively rapidly. I mean, I think the story for Canada in uh, 25 words or less is good, good policies give you good outcomes. Good policies give you a lot of resilience. Because what we haven't seen in Canada is uh, the kind of uh, very uh, uh, disruptive uh, shutdown in the financial system, collapse of financial institutions, sharp cutback in credit, huge balance sheet effects on the, on the household sector. And that's imparted a lot of resilience to the economy. We started out talking about the dollar and, and how that's taken the edge off of the expansion for Canada. So again, the outlook isn't, uh, isn't completely without risks or challenges, but we think uh, with the current set of policies, uh, Canada's got the best possible chance of, uh, of a good, strong upswing coming out of this. Charlie and Marcella, thank you both very much for joining us today. And to Lev Ratnovsky, Evridiki Tsunda, and Nicoletta Battini of the IMS Western Hemisphere Department. I'm Jacqueline Delorier. Join us next time when we discuss the Canadian economy. For more information on the IMF and the global economic crisis, visit imf.org. Also check out our video and podcast webpage for the latest interviews and broadcasts.